pray. Lord, we thank you for James. We thank you for the community that he wrote to, the communities that were touched by his letter. We thank you for this community, equally touched by his words all these years later. Thank you for his faithfulness. May it be a witness and a legacy that we take hold of here and live out in our lives. May these words today and the reflections that we have on them bear much fruit to your glory and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just a quick recap that... Sorry, I've got it on a bit louder because we're trying to get the volume out for the um, recording. Sorry. The letter of James was written very early. It's probably the earliest New Testament book written. There would be people who would argue that, but I'm not going into that. I think it's pretty accurate. And today is week seven. I can't believe it's week seven. And it's the final week of this series. And I have really enjoyed this series, me personally, preparing it. And I kind of get to the end and I go, but there's so much more. (laughs) I could keep going, but I think we'll move on to something else. We'll do it another time. But today we we come to James's conclusion from his letter. And he picks up again on the key threads that he's woven through the letter. And he closes the loop, if you like, bringing us back to where we started, in a sense. It was a bright early afternoon in the desert of northern Chile and everything was normal when deep underground disaster happened. 33 miners were 2,300 feet under the surface of the earth, three miles in through the winding mine ramps when the mine shaft collapsed. No one knew whether the miners had survived or not. 17 days later, a probe inserted into the cavity of the mine was pulled out and a note was attached. We are all well, the 33. Who remembers that? I remember. The sobering reality of the situation was that even if the mining company began drilling an escape shaft for the miners, the process would not take days or weeks months. The men had several days of emergency food and water. The situation seemed hopeless, but nothing, doing nothing was not an option. The mining company began drilling six-inch holes large enough to let water and food down into the cavern, and then began to assemble the large equipment to begin drilling a hole just wide enough for a 21-inch wide capsule to be lowered to the men. It was estimated that this large boring bore drilling would take sorry this large bore drilling would take months to reach the miners. The experts on the surface knew it. The men living in the stale air and absolute black so far underground knew it. The way the rescuers worked was to drill rock inch by inch, day by day. The way the miners survived was by living one day at a time through days in blackness that had no measure. They held together as a group, dividing responsibilities between them. One miner, Luis Azua, quickly emerged as the leader of the group. 
and his cool head and good humour kept the men in decent spirits and their minds on the tasks of survival. He later credited majority decision-making for keeping the morale strong. You just have to speak the truth and trust each other, he said. A full 69 days after the mine collapsed, 69 days, all 33 miners were extracted one by one in a small cramped capsule. They began in early August. Now it was early October. They could not have survived physically if they'd not persevered spiritually. During those weeks, they held chapel services underground. They had crosses, Bibles and other devotional articles sent down to them. Virtually all of them saw their rescue as an act of God. But they had to wait so many days, so many weeks and persevere. Now, perseverance is not a popular concept and it probably never has been. Our culture is an instant one which sees little value in waiting sees little value in patience or in living one day at a time, putting one foot in front of the other. But that's the reality for most of us, most of the time, in our Christian walk. William Carey began his amazing mission work in India in 1798 with great enthusiasm. Like any mission to a foreign place, it took perseverance to build cultural connections when nobody had been before, to learn indigenous languages, write and print grammar books and dictionaries, and to translate the Bible into Sanskrit. In one single day, March 11th of 1812, the years of work vanished. A fire in Carey's print shop consumed his entire library, including his completed Sanskrit dictionary, part of his Bengal dictionary, two grammar books and ten translations of the Bible. Also lost were a large supply of English paper, dictionaries, deeds and account books. Seventeen years of work were taken away and the core accomplishments of his mission were just gone. Years earlier, William Carey tried to explain to his sceptical father that he had something constructive to do in faraway India. No one had done this kind of work before, which is why Carey is called the father of modern missions. He couldn't tell his father at that time that he could practice medicine because he wasn't a doctor. He couldn't say that he'd serve India's political needs because he had no skill in civil affairs. But Carey knew one thing about himself that was rooted in his personal ordinariness. He said of himself, I can plod. After the fire, Carey knew what needed to be done. Despite the heartache and discouragement, he knew that he and his fellow workers could retrace their steps and start with one page of the dictionary, the grammars and the Bible translations. Page two after that, and the trajectory was set. Carey said that it was easier to walk a road the second time, and that was just what they did. It took years, 
but he recreated what the fire had stolen. And by the end of Carey's life, the Bible had been produced in whole or in part in 44 different languages. He could plod, and he did plod, one foot in front of the other, one page after another. I was actually very fortunate to go to Carey Grammar for one year of my education. And I always remember that Carey uh, was renowned for saying, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I kind of carried that with me, I think, or it's come, it's, it's followed me. <laughs> well, I'd hazard a guess that hardly any of us here have ever put, I can plod down on your CV. <laughs> Or when you're interviewed for a job or a position. You know, what gifts do you bring? I can plod. <laughs> but many of the greatest biblical leaders were plodders. Moses led a difficult mass of people through the desert for a period spanning many long years. David hid in caves whilst fleeing and eluding his enemies. Jesus and his disciples walked from one village to another many times. Paul made long, looping journeys whilst facing great opposition and difficulties. It's often the plodders who make things happen. They have faced, as James says, trials of many kinds. They have learned perseverance by not giving up even amidst the most trialling of experiences and times. And they came out on the other side, wiser, stronger and more energised than before. They'd learned how to keep their eye on God and on the horizon and not to become overwhelmed with the difficulties of their current circumstances. Boy, we can learn from that, can't we? Now, James bookends his letter with the emphasis on the need to work towards patient endurance or perseverance in our faith. The moment you decide to follow Jesus is the moment you should expect the trials to begin. It's true. We'd like it otherwise, but that's the way it is. James tells us that we should celebrate such moments and learn to look at them with joy. Many kinds of tests we can face as followers of Jesus. Actual persecution, temptations, physical illness, bereavement, family issues, financial struggles, not to mention conflict, power struggles, complacency amidst those we're called to serve with, lack of resources and spiritual warfare. Anyone seriously following Jesus will find themselves tested and hard-pressed, not only at some stage, but a lot. As Christians, we are not supposed to just survive. We are supposed to make a difference. To do what we need, we need inner strength. Sorry, to do that, we need inner strength, which comes from God. Our own resources will stretch thin and will not be able to sustain us long term if we are truly living out the gospel. 
And James draws our attention today once again to the spiritual gift that we'll need to persevere. Patient endurance. Which we need to allow to have its full effect in us. In a myopic world that's focused on what feels good now, we have a vital alternative to offer. The best work we can do is so important, so big, so visionary, that it cannot and will not be completed in our lifetime. It's a big picking up on the theme we talked about last week, the difference between the sandcastle and the man building his castle for himself. Our work for God will not be finished in this lifetime. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the better off we're going to be. Our work goes on in God. His work in us goes on beyond this life. This is not it. This is just a glimpse of the vastness of what God is. Perseverance like that which James speaks of will begin building ministries that will take decades to bring to their fullness. We may look around at this small group, this small faithful group, and feel despondent. I don't. I feel so filled with hope because what God is doing here is pretty wonderful. The people who have gone before us have built something for us to be faithful in continuing. But we have to do it in a way that meets the people of today. Those translations that William Carey did in, this, in the 18th, early 19th centuries, they would not fit today. But the understanding that we need to put the Bible into people's language has lived on. We may bemoan the fact that some of the things that we grew up with in church are not being taken on by current and future generations. And we can grieve that. We need to hold on to what's really important and hold the other stuff loosely, lightly, because it's the core of what God is doing in his church that has to be sustained. Where that happens, what it looks like, doesn't matter that much. And we've seen that through COVID, through Zoom. We can worship together, looking like the Brady Bunch. Yeah? <laughs> it's okay. It's God's spirit at work in his church, bringing new life to each and every generation. That is what we have to pass on. Sharing in the things that Jesus told us to do reading the scriptures together and exploring them. These are the things that are really important. Where we sit, what I'm wearing, really doesn't matter. But if it's going to make a difference to someone coming in who doesn't yet know Jesus, then I'll stand on my head and I'll wear whatever they want me to wear. Right? If it's going to bring them closer to Jesus, I'll do it. But I'll still be faithful. Anyway, I lost my place. I'll move on. <laughs> That's important. A 
As I was saying, we will begin building ministries that will take decades to bring to their fullness. We will tackle social issues and our young people in our youth group will tackle social issues like hunger and disease, knowing that there's no clear solution on the near horizon. Perseverance knows that the seeds I may plant in my lifetime will need to be watered and nurtured by those in future generations, but that we all work together to lay the groundwork for God to provide the growth. Even when we may not get to see the rewards in our lifetime. Even then. Perseverance is a selfless commitment to working in God's ways, in God's time, so that God may receive the glory. Endurance, something new that is added to the character of the Christian in the crucible of testing. It doesn't refer to a personal or exceptional sense of fortitude but to a deeper component of character which is made manifest in various situations. Active steadfastness, staying power, stick with it ability, I say. And that's not a word, but I use it as a word. Constancy and a determination under adversity. But it's imbued with a hope which drives and enriches these other qualities. Thanks, Marco. If you could show the next slide for us. The Greek word that James uses is hepomone. Hypo meaning under, like a hypodermic needle goes through your skin, and the verb menio, which means to abide. And together they form hepomenio, which is an endurance while abiding under. This is what comes as a result of God training our mind and our body through our abiding under trials, suffering and discipline. And James begins and ends his letter with this term and links it, wait for it, to being blessed. He doesn't say blessed is the one who never goes through trials. Rather, blessed is the one who perseveres or endures under trial. Testing has a way of levelling us in our humanity. And I can certainly attest to that. It helps us to get our focus on the right things, namely eternal things. It's only when we believe in Christ and adopt God's eternal perspective that we can persevere under trials with the joy of salvation. Because of what God has done in Christ, we know the bigger picture. And that makes it all possible. Thanks, Marco. We have two crowns for Christ the King Sunday today. The crown of life. James says, is God's reward for those that persevere to the end under trials, who endure whilst wearing the crown of thorns. A follower of Jesus must wear both crowns. We cannot, give, we cannot ignore the thorny one and grab at the golden one. 
The one who perseveres under trials is blessed in this life. But James' emphasis is on eternal rewards. The English name Stephen comes from the Greek word for crown, Stephanos, which referred to the victor's wreath in athletic contests. And the image here is of the believers struggling and striving in the contest, but the reward of the crown awaits him at the end, not if he wins, but if he perseveres to the end. And that theme comes up in Revelation, Bishop Paul's series on Revelation. The one who endures to the end gets the crown of life. The crown of life refers, refers to the eternal life that we will enjoy forever with God. But it starts now. We don't have to wait. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's now. And it's not that we earn eternal life as a reward for our perseverance. That's a bit twisted in its thinking. But rather, eternal life is God's gift of grace. But we don't enter into the full enjoyment of it until after we have persevered in the race that God has given us to run in this life. If we endure, he will also, we will also reign with him. The strength to persevere under trial comes from what? Our love of Christ. Go back to James and read it again. The strength to persevere under trials comes from love for Christ. We might expect James to say, the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who persevere or to those who obey or to those who believe in him, but rather, he says, it goes to those who love him. Why does he say this? Well, I think after working through this letter over the last few weeks, we can see that it is because our love for Christ prevents us from taking hold of our love for the world. And it sets us apart as his. Love for Christ motivates us to persevere under trials. And that love for Christ does not exempt us from trials, but it gives us the strength to persevere. Love for Christ is the inevitable result of belief in him. If we don't love him, we don't know him, says First John. Remember when Jesus restored Peter after his denials, he asked him three times. He didn't say, Simon, son of John, are you going to stick with this? He didn't say, Simon, son of John, are you going to persevere? Are you going to do the hard stuff? He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Why? Because love for Christ is the necessary motivation to serve him. And especially when serving him causes hardship and persecution. So if you're struggling with perseverance in trials, perhaps we need to examine the quality of our love for Christ. It's not just about endurance, but James says, 
patient endurance. Every generation has to learn the lessons of patience. We're commanded to be patient. Patience is one of the key aspects of the Spirit's work in our lives. We need patience. But please, God, give it now. (laughs) How often do we pray that? Lord, give me patience, but hurry up. Well, next week we begin the season of Advent when just as the world around us is ramping up and getting impatient, we're called to slow down and find the meaning in the waiting. To stand firm, as James says, with a single-mindedness, not a double-mindedness, a single-mindedness, whilst everything around us just seems to be spinning out of control. And it's that ability to do that that is one of the hallmarks of being a disciple. It's no mistake that the word disciple and discipline are very closely linked. There's a reason. And James encourages us to look to the example of others as inspiration and to learn from their wisdom. And he rattles off Job and prophets and a few others. We won't go there now. The life of discipleship is its own witness. Never underestimate the power of the witness you give in your discipleship. And James exhorts us as he draws his letter to a close to pray, to pray at all times, to pray in all seasons and in all circumstances, to pray continually without ceasing, to pray with faith, to focus on God's character rather than than on the exact answer to our prayers. Now, that's a big one. There's a whole sermon in that. Discipline and habit are keys here. And we pray for endurance because Christian discipleship is much more a marathon than it is a sprint. So James has offered us in this letter written so many years ago a faith that works. It's the same then as it is now. Integrity, wisdom, faithfulness, perseverance. This is a faith that is all-encompassing. It demands 100% of us. That beautiful old hymn we sang a few weeks ago, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And in his conclusion today, James summarises again the three themes that he's brought up of speech, prayer and suffering. And through the last few weeks, we have talked about what happens when we're bumped by life. How do we live with joy? The importance of walking the talk. The importance of talking the walk. Of choosing God's ways over all the others that are being offered to us. And submitting to God's ways. And we have been encouraged to have patient endurance and faithfulness. Well, thank you, James, for sharing with us a faith that works. 
Amen. The Lord be with you.